Oh, it is a blessing to still make myself useful. Old hands and old eyes get weaker, but never worthless. No, God has shown me the beauty that is present in these later years. He is so good to me, my Jesus. Praise his name. Do you find it odd that I speak of him that way? My son, God's son. Perhaps it is a little odd, but I can't deny the truth of it. I watched him his whole life, growing up, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. All of it points to the fact that Jesus was more than just special. He is God, brought to earth to save us all. And I was there when the Spirit came at Pentecost. I saw the disciples changed utterly by encountering the same Spirit that lived in Jesus. I have been changed utterly too. Were you there that day? Do you remember it? I felt like the wind would tear the roof off the building. It was so loud. And you could see, actually see, the Spirit descending on each one of us, lighting a fire in our hearts for His truth. We haven't stopped talking about it since. He changed everything. Jesus was so correct when He said we needed the Spirit even more than we needed Him in the flesh. I know Him so much better Now that his spirit is with me, he teaches me and talks to me. He loves me, and I love him. Well, yes, our church still has problems. We do live in Ephesus, and there are plenty of temptations and distractions in a city like Ephesus. And people aren't always good at listening to God We say the wrong thing, offend one another, make poor decisions. We don't always know how best to treat others with love. John has begun to remind us all more and more of the importance of love. And I think he's right. That is a key. We have to learn to love. And just like this bowl of lentils, there are a few stones in the mix. Those who simply don't follow the truth. Specific situations need to be addressed. But that too can be done with love. Because Jesus loves every one of us. And he's made a way for every one of us. We just need to turn to him. These days I find myself thinking back to what that angel said at the very beginning. Don't be afraid. And that Jesus would save us all. That he would reign forever. That his kingdom would never end. I think I begin to see what he was talking about. Because, you see, nothing will stop this message, the gospel, from going forth. 
not sin or church conflict or opposition. We are a part of an everlasting kingdom established by God in Jesus. Why should I ever be afraid? Well, this bowl looks clean. Time to start preparing supper. You're welcome to join us, you know. There's enough for everyone. And I can tell you more about Jesus. I don't think I'll ever get tired of talking about him. Mary, devoted to God's plan. This is the last message on Mary, devoted to God's plan. And today I want to ask a question of you. I want this question for you to ask this question of yourself. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? Our text today is found in John chapter 19. We'll be looking at verses 26 and 27. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, meaning John, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. What was happening when Jesus stopped to take care of his mom? What was happening in that moment at that time when Jesus spoke these words? Of course, he was paying the price for your sins, for my sins. He was taking on the sins of all mankind on a cross. For you and for me. He was suffering a painful experience. Physical torture. More than any of us could possibly ever imagine. He had been whipped near death. He had been punched in the face. He repeatedly was mocked by the Roman soldiers. Hit with a stick. He had lost a great deal of blood. And he was suffering for you and for me. When they took the spikes and they drove it in his hands. And then drove them into his feet. When they fastened him to that cross and they raised him up on that cross. They dropped that cross. I can't imagine the pain he must have felt. As it came to rest that day. The physical cross, the cost for The payment for your sins and for my sins was enormous. But there was also a mental cost that Christ paid for for you and for me. Historically, when men were crucified, they were stripped of their clothes. They were humiliated. They were mocked, made fun of. They were insulted, verbally abused. So there was a physical cost, there was a mental cost, but there was also a spiritual cross that Christ took upon himself for you and for me. You see, he was paying for the, your sins and for my sins. He was enduring the wrath of God. He was the spotless Lamb of God who would take upon him the sins of the world. 
He died in your place. He died in my place so that we might have life and have it to its full. So that we might have an understanding of who this God is. That loved us so much that he would send his one and only son to die in our place. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. And our Savior took upon him the punishment of us all. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus made seven statements while He hung there on that cross that day. And these statements have significance. The first statement was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As those soldiers begin to nail those spikes into his hands. And as they nail the spikes into his feet. Our Lord said, Father, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. The second statement he made was, Today you will be with me in paradise. Speaking to two criminals on the cross as they began to argue amongst themselves. And one asked for forgiveness of sin. And Jesus turns to that one and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. A third statement that Christ made on that day was, I thirst. This was in fulfillment of the prophecy written long ago. It's unique to understand the word of God, how it points to the coming of the Messiah. Our Redeemer. This was not something that just happened by coincidence. God in His provenient grace provided for you and for me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This was God's plan. This was God's plan of redemption for you and for me. And Jesus says, I thirst, fulfilling the prophecy that was written. Another Saying that Jesus said on that cross that day was, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus took upon the sins of mankind, your sins and my sins, there was that sense of abandonment, of loneliness, of paying the ultimate price for you and for me. One of the Seven statements was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This happened there that day on the cross. And then finally, it is finished. Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and for me. But today we look at the text found in John chapter 19, verse 26. And I am struck by the power of this text. You see, this is the only statement that did not need to be made that day. Several of the statements needed to be made to fulfill the prophecies of long ago. Many of those statements were just statements that had to do with the cross itself. But here, when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciples Disciple whom he loved, meaning John, standing near to her. Now, we don't know why John was there and the other disciples were not, but some 
believed that it was because John was so young that he was not a threat to the Roman soldiers, and so he could go stand there with Jesus. The other disciples were old enough where they were fearful for their own lives. But he was yet just a little more than a child. And there's John standing at the cross, witnessing his Lord and his Savior. And Jesus takes care of his mother. Woman, here is your son. And to John, he said, here is your mother. You see, it would have been Jesus' responsibility as the eldest child to take care of his mother, to provide for her in her old age, especially after Joseph's passing. But now that responsibility was passed to John. And John now would take care of mom. Jesus reveals something very revealing to us in this scripture. He reveals to us how much he loves us, even in his pain. I don't know about you, but when I'm not feeling well, I really don't want to talk to anybody. We've had sickness go through our staff this week. Pastor Eggers had a cold and whatever, and I've had bronchitis and is on antibiotics. And, and you know, I, when I don't feel well, I just don't want to talk to people. And here is our Savior, compelled by love, to speak in behalf of his mother. And I asked the question this morning, what does, requ- what does love require of me? At the birth of Christianity 2,000 years ago, there was extraordinary, off-the-chart division in the church. You see, there were five groups of people. There was the Jews who, well, they were the chosen of God, and so they felt like they were better than everybody else. There were the Gentiles, and the Gentiles, well, that particular group, they didn't like the Jews because the Jews thought they were better than everybody else. And then, of course, you had this group of slaves, and slaves, you know, they didn't really like the Jews or the Gentiles because they were slaves. And then you had freedmen. These freedmen had earned their freedom over time, given full citizenship. And even though they were free, they didn't really like the owners. And the owners didn't like the freedmen, never really gave the freedmen very much respect. Then, of course, you had women. And women had absolutely no rights at all. And in the first century church, God began to change all of that. We had these five different groups. And the church 2,000 years ago today was the solution. And the church is still the solution today. The church is the solution that we face and the divisions we face in life. You see, Jesus Christ, His life impacting our life, transforms us and enables us to love one another. To love our community and our world as Christ would have us to love. Peter was the leader of that church. And yet Peter still struggled with division. 
Peter had been with Jesus. He was one of the followers of Christ, walked with Jesus. He was there at the tomb after the resurrection. Peter was there, you know, when he denied Christ before the resurrection. And then he was there at the tomb. And then he had breakfast a few days later after the resurrection. And there's Peter and Jesus having breakfast together. This same Peter, 15 years after the resurrection, struggled with Gentiles. We, we find in the, in the book of 2 Corinthians, it's actually Acts chapter 10, verse 27, the story of Cornelius. I encourage you to turn to your Bibles to Acts 10. Cornelius was a centurion, a Roman centurion. And of course, the Jews feared this group of people. But he was a God-fearer. He came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. And, and one day he was praying. And as he was praying, God gave him a vision. An angel appeared to him. The angel said, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. So they left to go get Peter. The next day, about noon, Peter was hungry. He was ready to eat. And, uh, but before he went down to eat, he decided to go up and pray. And while he was praying, he had a vision and a sheet was lowered down. And God explained to him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. After he got up from that vision... There was a pounding on the door. Here were these men who Cornelius had sent to Joppa. The door, they answered the door and they said, we are looking for Peter. Peter, having that vision, went with them. And I want you to listen to these words found in Acts chapter 10, verse 27. While talking with him, Peter went aside, inside and found a large gathering of people. I want you to listen to the candor of Peter. as what, the, what he says out loud in his opening remarks. He said to them, you are all well aware. Meaning everyone in this room knows that it's against the law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. This was 15 years after the resurrection. But God has shown, in other words, God has shown me that I should not call anyone unpure or unclean. You see, the division that was in the church should not be. And so God began to intervene and bring healing. And in the God's kingdom, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, bond nor slave. We are all one, red and yellow, black and white. We are all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children. He loves you. He loves me. And so we're compelled to ask the question, well, what does love require of me? In the book of Philemon, the apostle Paul pleads for a slave named Onimus. Onimus. Philemon was a landowner and he was a part of the Colossian church there. He was uh, probably saved during one of Paul's missionary journeys. 
became a good friend of Paul, supporter, encourager, knew Paul well. well. Onimus was a runaway slave. He was a hunted fugitive. He ran away from his owner, Philemon. And we don't really know what happened. It could be that Paul and Onimus were imprisoned at the same time. We're not sure. But somehow there was a conversion experience for this slave. You see, he'd spent his days hiding. And now the Apostle Paul was encouraging to go, him to go back to his master. He was a Christian. He was a follower of Christ. What does love require of me as a follower of Christ? You see, he had two choices. He could spend the rest of his life hiding in darkness, going through dark alleys, always afraid that he would be caught. Once caught, he could be taken to his master, and his master had legal right to have him executed immediately. Even if he wouldn't be executed, he would be branded with an F for fugitive on his forehead. So he had this decision to make. Paul writes to Philemon. And he encourages him to take him as his own. Let's look at Philemon chapter 1, verse 15. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave. As a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but he's even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you have welcomed me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to my account. So we ask the question, what does love require of me? You see, there's a lot of division in our world today. And the church is still the answer. You see, in God's kingdom, red and yellow, black and white, we're all precious in His sight. Jesus loves you. He loves me. He loves all the children of the world. So what does love require of me? I was impressed as I read this story this week of Mary, Jesus speaking on the behalf of Mary. I was impressed as I listened to Paul speaking on the behalf of a slave. As Peter began to see the light that God was revealing to him and how we ought to be salt and light in our world. And the question rings in my ears, what does God What does love require of me? You see, I think the division that we face can be addressed by loving one another. As we love each other, it spills out onto the world around us. And it does make a difference in our community, in our kingdom, in in our community, and in our world. I'm not naive to think that I can fix all the problems. 
You see, the reality is, I run our food pantry, I mean, I run our care and share ministry. Our food pantry serves 200 to 400 individuals every month. And then the care and share ministry, we care for people who, for one reason or another, are not able to make a, a payment and their utilities are going to be shut off or they're in a diff, difficult situation. But I have to say no in order to say yes. For every time I say yes to someone, I'm saying no to someone else. You see, the reality is we can't take care of every problem. And so we kind of have some guidelines that we follow as a church. And one is we help those that we know. It may be somebody that you know and they're in a desperate time. And because of your relationship with them, you've referred them to me. And you said, Pastor Rex, I know so-and-so. They're going through a hard time. And I can vouch for them. And, And you see, the struggle is how do we know if we're enabling a problem or if we're helping You see, it's easy to enable an addiction just by bailing someone out of their problems. And that's not always love. And so I'm not naive enough to think that I can fix all the problems. I'm not naive enough to think that I can address homelessness homelessness in my community by simply opening my home. My home is not big enough. I don't have a large enough salary. I make a good salary at the church, but... It's probably not enough to pay for all the homeless of Fort Wayne. I know it's not. I'm limited in what one person can accomplish. I'm afraid that far too often we have a naive perception of what can be done in our world. But see, it doesn't start there. It starts here with me. As I rub shoulders with my neighbors, with my friends... As the Lord opens my eyes to the needs around me and allows me to care for and minister to. You see, the question is, what does love require of me? When the elevator doors open and I walk into a small room full of strangers, what does love require of me? Do I walk into that room totally absorbed in myself or am I open? Am I asking, Lord, Every place I go, everywhere I walk today, will you walk with me and help me to see what you see? You see, the world is filled with people who are hurting and broken and need of a touch from the Savior. And he calls upon us to be his hands and his feet. And so the question for us today, Lord... What's love require of me? Let us pray. Lord, in the world we live, there's so much division. Political sides. Um, political ideas. Philosophical ideas. And if we're not careful, Lord, we could get caught up in all this stuff and get distracted from the opportunities that are around us every day. Would you guard our hearts and our minds? Would you guard our words and conversation wherever they might be? Whether it's on Facebook or Twitter. Whether it's uh, in our families. 
our community, our world. Help us to live in such a way, Lord, that we are totally surrendered to you. That we take the example of Jesus himself, who considered his mother. And we consider the world around us. Help us not to be so self-absorbed by the things of time that we omit the things of eternity. Help us, Lord, to hear from you. To see what you see. And to love as you've loved us. One person at a time. We know we can't say yes to everyone. But Lord, you may be calling us to say yes to more than we think or could ask or imagine. So help us today to ask the question, Lord, what does love require of me? And we pray all these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.